Hey everyone, just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and ebooks. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much. once said, we have the tendency to run away from suffering and to look for happiness. But in fact, if you've not suffered, you have no chance to experience real happiness. Welcome to the 111th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that we can't avoid suffering in this life, but we can try our best to reach out for help and support when suffering comes along. And one day we can experience real happiness again. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. People talk a lot about the importance of exercise when it comes to maintaining positive mental health, but very few ever discuss exactly what's going on when we get physically moving. We'll start with a bit from Knowable Magazine. It's hardly news that exercise is good for your physical health, but only more recently have researchers come to realize its benefits for mental health, as effective as drug therapy in some cases, and now researchers are starting to understand how exactly exercise works its mental magic. Some of the strongest evidence for the mental benefits of exercise centers on depression. In 2016, a study identified 23 clinical trials that tested the effectiveness of exercise in treating depression, and taken as a whole, those studies found that exercise was roughly as effective as antidepressant drugs. And exercise offers several advantages. For one thing, antidepressant medications usually take, you know, several weeks or months to show their full effect. Exercise can improve mood almost immediately, making it a valuable supplement to frontline treatments such as drugs or therapy. Scientists have come up with a few ideas about how exercise enhances mental health. One possibility is that physical exercise triggers the release of a protein known as brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. As its name suggests, BDNF is one of the key molecules that encourage the growth of new brain cells, including possibly in the hippocampus, a brain region important in memory and learning. Since the hippocampus tends to be smaller or distorted in people with depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia, several experts point to this as one possible way exercise helps manage these conditions. Sure enough, studies show that people with depression have lower levels of BDNF, and notably, one effect of antidepressant drugs is to increase production of that molecule. So back to me, there's a couple things I'd like all of us to take away from this. First, not having the energy or motivation to exercise can be a symptom of depression. So while this does sound promising, for some of us, getting out of bed to exercise can be downright impossible, which leads me to the second takeaway. Sometimes medication can help with this energy and motivation issue, even temporarily taking medication to get that boost. And then we can engage in this intervention to allow both to work together to move us in the direction of wellness. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today, I'm going to introduce you to St. Angela Marici. (laughs) 
Born in 1474 in the Republic of Venice, Angela and her sisters were left orphaned when she was just 10 years old. After they moved in with their uncle, Angela's sister suddenly died without receiving last rites, and this left Angela quite anxious. She constantly prayed for her young sister because of that anxiety, and one day she had a vision where she saw her sister in the company of the saints. This led to her joining the Third Order of St. Francis. When Angela was 20, her uncle died, and she returned home to live on the land with her brothers. And while there, she had another vision where it was revealed that she was going to start a religious order devoted to the religious education of girls. She also experienced a brief period of blindness while on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, only to have the condition cured when praying before a crucifix. She gathered with 12 young women in 1535 to found the company of St. Ursula with the goal of elevating family life through the Christian education of wives and mothers, and within four years, the group had grown to 28. She taught everyone how to devote their lives to God while remaining in the world and teaching others in their own neighborhoods. When she died in 1540, there were 24 communities of the company of St. Ursula. Through her intense grief, anxiety, and loss, Angela shows us a great example of someone who suffered much but is now in heaven, ready to pray for us during the dark nights of our journey. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. St. Angela Marici, you lost your parents when you were a young girl. You also suffered deeply when your sister died suddenly. Despite your sufferings, you held fast to your faith and continued serving God. Please continue to bring my petitions before him. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I struggle with a particular habitual sexual sin, and I also experience anxiety about going to confession for this sin. Am I truly contrite? I want to be, but I know I'm weak. Can the priest recognize my voice? Will he think I'm contrite enough? More importantly, will Jesus believe I'm truly contrite? I sometimes skip a month or two before I go to reconciliation to make sure I have perfect contrition. I don't know if perfect contrition is possible, given this is a habitual sin. So let's start by joining in prayer together for Anonymous and all of us facing habitual sins the anxiety related to going to confession and doing it just right for the peace of God and his infinite ocean of mercy to wash over us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen two things to get us started. First, you are not alone. So many of us are living with habitual sins that we struggle to get a hold of and even struggle to feel bad about or even desire to work on. For example, I know that gossip is bad. St. Paul compares it to murder for goodness sake. But when I find myself among my colleagues at work and they're talking about the inside gossip on another coworker, I, I jump right in. I don't even try to hold myself back. And even after, I kind of feel like it's not that bad. And yet, if I spend some time contemplating, I know it's bad and I want to stop. You know what I mean? But I bring this sin to confession, hoping that I'm actually sorry and trusting God to take care of the rest. I want to be sorry. I want to change, but I don't try as hard as I should. And it happens over and over and over. God understands. He understands my actions and thoughts and motivations better than I do. And at some point, we have to trust that he's seeing that we want to have perfect contrition and that that's going to be enough for him. And if we can believe in his infinite mercy that it's enough for him, it's got to be enough for us. Regarding habitual sins, I want to 
wanted to close by looking at the catechism. Paragraph 1735 tells us, Responsibility for an action can be diminished or even nullified by ignorance, inadvertence, duress, fear, habit, inordinate attachments, and other psychological or social factors. And in paragraph 1453, we read about imperfect contrition, which I think is also important here. This contrition, called imperfect, is a gift from God, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It is born of the consideration of sin's ugliness or the fear of eternal damnation and the other penalties threatening the sinner. Such a stirring of conscience can initiate an inferior process which, under the prompting of grace, will be brought to completion by the sacrament of absolution. So I hope it helps to know that God can take our imperfect contrition and bring it to completion. I hope that gives you peace. A different anonymous is up next. Have you done an episode on imposter syndrome and how to cope with it? Sometimes I get in my head and think, well, it's good that I feel this way because I'm being humble. Let's start by praying for anonymous and everyone coping with imposter syndrome, for peace in our hearts, for us to be able to see ourselves as God sees us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. We love to start off with definitions around here so we can make sure we're all on the same page. And while imposter syndrome isn't a diagnosis, we're going to go to clevelandclinic.org to get us started. Have you ever felt like you're not good enough to do the job you've been hired to do and that your boss may figure it out at any moment? Or maybe you felt like you're only pretending to be an adult who's capable of buying a home or raising a human child, even though everyone else you know has it totally figured out. Spoiler alert, most other people have felt this way too. No matter how much evidence there is that we're successfully navigating our lives, jobs, and relationships, many of us hold false beliefs that we aren't actually as capable or smart as others think we are. This is called imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon. So back to me, it's estimated that 70% of adults have experienced this at some point in their lives. And this feeling that we're going to be exposed as a fraud in one way or another can have negative consequences when it turns into a persistent cycle of thoughts of self-doubt. We can battle those thoughts to get relief from that paralyzing self-doubt, and we'll turn back to Cleveland Clinic for some ideas. Overcoming imposter syndrome starts with recognizing your own potential and taking ownership of your achievement. Separate feelings from facts. Chances are you'll feel imposter syndrome creeping in at some point in your life. Recognize that just because you think these things doesn't mean they are true. If your mind says, I don't know what I'm talking about, remind yourself that you know more than you think you do and you're capable of learning. Next, take note of your accomplishments. In moments where you can feel less than, it can be helpful to have a tangible reminder of your successes. When your manager sends you an email recognizing your excellent work on a project, save that email in a special folder. If your child makes a card telling you what a great parent you are, hang it on the fridge where you'll be able to see it on a day when it feels like nothing's going right. Next is stop comparing. Focus on measuring your own achievements instead of holding them up against others. Comparing your life to a carefully curated influencer social media feed, for example, is a trap for feeling like you don't measure up. Next, turn imposter syndrome on its head. Remember that smart, high-achieving people deal with imposter syndrome, so the very fact that you recognize it in yourself says a lot about you. True imposters don't have this feeling. 
Next, talk to others. Sometimes a good chat with someone who knows you and supports you can help you realize that your imposter feelings are normal, but also irrational. And finally, talk to a therapist. A therapist can help you recognize feelings associated with imposter syndrome and create new behaviors to get past them. And please know that we'll be praying for you. A third and final anonymous wraps us up. I follow a lot of climate scientists and activists and read a lot about how our world is being impacted by climate change every day. It's taking a toll on my mental health. I have a baby boy and all I can think of is how we're actively destroying his future. I feel helpless very often and my reaction is to try to disconnect from the problem or ignore it in a way, but then I feel guilty because I should be doing more, not less. My question is, what can I do to have more hope and take care of my mental health while also fighting for a more just and equitable world. Let's start by joining in prayer for Anonymous and all of us experiencing anxiety about the climate and the terrible lack of justice in our world, for peace in our hearts, and for our world to move in the right direction. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. I'd like to mention one thing right off the top here. Disconnecting from the constant stream of information about all the things going wrong in the world is not a cause for guilt. I understand why you feel that way. I feel it too, especially when I feel like I have to disconnect from the COVID numbers because I can't take it anymore. But then I feel like I'm not protecting my family by not keeping an eye on it. But the way I see it is this. If we get to the point where we're stressed out, we're not going to be any good for our families anyway. No amount of tracking the problems in the world will resolve us getting burned out. And so we have to be okay with taking breaks. We have to be okay with unplugging and allowing ourselves to spend time focusing on what's immediately in front of us. Spending time working on being mindful in nothing more than the present moment. Let's take a look at SciComm for some thoughts here. Burning forests, starving polar bears, and poisoned fish, it's all so heartbreaking, and right now seems to be a part of the daily news cycle. For some, the constant reminders of environmental destruction have a psychological impact. I feel considerable guilt and despair surrounding the climate crisis, says Conrad Youngling, a 34-year-old LGBT activist and writer from Portland, Oregon. He says climate change is something he worries about almost daily. From plastic packaging at the grocery store to melting glaciers and rising sea levels, the more I learn about the climate crisis, the more depressing it is. When such profound grief takes a hold of you, it can make you feel very alone. But here are some tips for coping with grief for the climate. Number one, feel your grief. One of the first steps to coping with climate grief is letting yourself feel your feelings. Accept all of your emotions like sadness, worry, anger, without judging them or pushing them away. Acknowledge that the emotions you're feeling about global warming are real and valid. Number two, know that you're not alone. There are billions of people on the planet, 7.7 billion as the estimate to be exact, and many of them are experiencing similar worries. In fact, so many are experiencing anxiety over the climate crisis that a new discipline of psychology is now devoted to researching the mental health impacts of climate change. Number three, recognize that saving the climate isn't your job. The weight of the world isn't yours to bear alone, and no one person is responsible for global warming. Remind yourself that some things are out of your control and some ecological losses are unavoidable. 
tackling climate change is a massive project and you can't do it alone. Number four, find your way of taking action. Once you've felt through your grief, taking action can be a meaningful and positive way forward. It's about looking within and asking yourself what strengths, capacities, and resources you can bring to the climate activism table. And back to me, know that we're praying for you and that you are free to unplug from it all whenever it gets to be too much. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.